0: We are back for another episode of Unboxing the Hobby, brought to you by Loop, and we are here with the man, the myth, the legend, Dan, the great curator. What's up, man? Hey guys, thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us. This is gonna be great. Yeah, and both y'all are the West Coast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm there. in uh,
1: Orange County, and I think you're L.A. What yeah in mean, los
2: angeles yeah yeah yeah. so yeah just just you know it seems like a a quick jaunt from each other but it could take three hours to get to you i have no idea what, i actually try way. to
1: avoid going to la at all costs
2: <laughs> <laughs> the only time i ever go to orange county anymore is just to go to disneyland and that's simply yes. it so. yeah i live near disneyland so it's nice yeah oh, i bet cool. do, do, do you do you go a lot or is it your thing because i i mean you're a mixed bag of what you collect so i'm always interested is that something yeah i
1: have a i have a daughter uh she's like uh, almost four years old so she loves disneyland so we have a pass, like an annual, like a local yeah. pass, where we have you know limited days. So uh you know we go out there every, I don't know, a couple months or so. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. I have a two-year-old who's just starting to love. He's starting to understand it and love it more. So I'm like, I'm gonna have to get this pass soon because he's gonna want to go more than once a year or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dad life you know how it is yeah it's definitely a movie uh <laughs> mac's still not there yet he gets to jaunt g- gallivant
0: around the country whenever he wants to we have to kind of yeah, figure I out i do have friends. a cat i you know that cat requires a cat sitter people have to feed it you know just <laughs> no respect no respect
1: that's are pretty easy though when you when you become a dog person and then you start calling your dog your kid like my friend merlin he does that now oh that's like the worst. <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yeah don't do that uh, anybody with anybody that has a dog and wants to call
2: him your kid don't do that especially to people that have kids then you're like yeah and
1: and if i put this out there because my friend merlin merworld cards i'll give him a shout out he did this this year too and i was just appalled do not take a christmas photo with your dog and send it to people okay that's just <laughs> that just seems uh unnecessary I, I will admit i'm
0: still at the stage where i'll go book a show and then afterwards, like, oh, yeah, the cat. I need to find a cat sitter. Uh, so I'm show first, then take care of the pet second. So <laughs> probably doesn't work that way with kids. But cats are cats are self-sufficient. They'll be enough right. about me, though. Enough
2: about me. Um,
0: yeah. So how did y'all connect?
2: Uh, well, I mean, I just through the through social media. Like I just I followed I'd followed Dan before he even knew who I was, you know, before that. So um it, I'm happy you're on Dan because the their collection, that I was talking about before we topped on, was just like is so eclectic and all and all this different stuff that I grew up with. So I'm just so interested to see like how did this start? Like, is this something that you've just had your whole life, or is this something that you jumped back into later on in life? How did how did this go for you?
1: Oh, you know, it's it's a very long story, but I'll try to I'll try to sum it up in a in a minute or so. But basically, I I, I joke with people and tell them that i've been collecting my entire life since i've been in the womb pretty much (laughs) but i yeah literally i have been collecting things my entire life i still have my childhood toys and comic books and things like that i was just always a hoarder and i took care of my stuff so um collecting is just like in my blood and it kind of comes from my mom i think because she collected like antiques and stuff and she used to take me to antique flea markets and i would look for toys while she was doing you know looking for like old antiques and stuff like that. So I've always loved collecting, but actually being in the hobby, um, I really started to get serious in the hobby around like 2020, pandemic time, where at that time I was collecting toys. I was getting back into collecting uh, action figures and things like that, wrestling toys in particular and i was accumulating a lot of stuff and if you if you're a toy collector you know you have boxes and all these things and they take up a lot of space and it got to the point where my wife had to have a conversation with me she's like you know is this stuff worth any money you're getting packages every day how much you know you're taking up all of space is this stuff worth any money and i was like well you know i buy it for 20 bucks if it if if i don't open it it might be worth 30, 40 bucks. If I open it, it's worth 10 bucks. So probably not, you know? And then she's like, can you just like, you know, maybe try to invest in something that's worth a little bit of money, like art. And when she said that to me, um, it, you know it lit a a light bulb in my head she was talking about like fine art contemporary art like a picasso or something like that but in my mind i was thinking comic books right because i love comic books (laughs) i started looking into comic books and that was the pandemic time when things were starting to go up in value and um, i was you know amazed by the secondary market of these things and i was like okay so my wife gave me permission to buy comic books, which she did not. But I, I took it that way. And I started buying a bunch of comic books, slab comic books. And I started to get into that. And then from that, I also trend, you know, started to rediscover sports cards because I was a big collector of sports cards back in the 90s. Same thing. It was going up at that time. The market had completely changed. And, and I kind of went deeper into that, that market just because it, in my mind, cards are probably the most efficient type of collectible because of space and, sure. and ease of transaction and things like that. Um so I started to go down that path. And um, originally I started with sports cards. That's how I started my Instagram. And uh through sports cards though, you know, I I'm a, I'm just a casual fan. I'm not like a diehard fan of anything. Um, but I'm I'm a real like pop culture nerd, you know, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, wrestling, all that kind of stuff the stuff that I grew up in the, the late 80s early 90s loving and um through collecting sports cards I also learned that there's pop culture cards and things like that. At that time a couple of years ago they called them non-sports cards. But I kind of I kind of like pushed this push this term pop culture cards. And then um from there I just kind of started going into that niche market and um it kind of snowballed and now it's you know kind of become like what I'm known for, you know, like uh, collecting Culture cards. So that's kind of how I got here today. That's great. It's not it's it's one of those things because most people, like
2: including myself, like I had a bunch of stuff as a kid and like a young teen, and then it just disappeared, whether my parents got rid of it or whatnot, to to see some of this collection that actually has kept your whole life, you know, is pretty crazy to me. And and it's awesome because I wish that I had some of the toys that I had not taken out of my boxes and things like that. And star wars figures he-man toys like all this stuff but they're just sadly gone now at this point
1: (laughs) but now now you have the fun journey of trying to to collect all the things from your childhood right (laughs) i say it all the time
2: now i'm like well now i'm an adult and i have uh the extra money to spend on some of this stuff so now i can just buy whatever i want but to my wife's dismay it ends up by being whole rooms of stuff that just show
1: up one day so (laughs) you know like my wife When I got real deep into this, I'm kind of an extreme personality where if I get into something, I'll get into it, I'll research it late into the night, you know, I'll obsess about it. And as I was getting into this, as you can see from all my content in my room here, I, you know, I went all in on this whole collecting thing. And it got to the point where my again, my wife had to have a conversation with me. <laughs> She's like, um, I noticed a lot of money going out of the bank account. Like, what's going on here? You know, uh, why are you spending so much money on this stuff? We should be doing other things like I don't know, investing in stocks or 401k or paying down bills, things like that. And um, you know, the quickest way. Uh, at that time i was just hoarding i was just collecting so then i had to get back into selling you know being a flipper and that's when i started going to car shows and things like that but uh for people out there who are are facing the same dilemma with your spouse for me my easiest solution to kind of get them to back off was to sell things, make money and show that and give them the cash. Basically give them, give them the, uh, the sales receipts so that they can see that these things are not junk. This and is actually
0: a podcast about driving yes. your significant others. So that's <laughs> yes. very helpful. Our I'm actually, you
1: know, that. I'm actually a relationship expert so I can, I can talk about these things. I am qualified for sure. That's, that's part of my day job, but <laughs> I can tell you that is the easiest way to get the, uh, Authority to go out and build your collection. Just show them how much these things are worth. <laughs> Sell a couple things from time to time. Give them the money, and then and then you could pass this off as like a a real legit investment. <laughs> it's amazing. You, it's like y'all will
0: appreciate this. I I picked up at my my fiance is a big Swifty. and so I was at the Raleigh card show a few weeks ago, and the uh, the guy the table across from us had a big signed Taylor Swift album, and it was it was uh, authenticated and everything like that. So I did it. I got it from my fiance. She hasn't said one thing about my collecting habits since. So there we what,
1: go. That's what people need to realize. I'm I'm glad that we're going down this rabbit hole because if you can get your significant other or your children or whoever you want to basically participate with you in the hobby, if you can get them into collecting something that they enjoy, then, then it makes life so much easier. And really Taylor does. Swift is a great gateway um, drug to get anybody everybody loves taylor swift i love taylor swift you know and she's a great way to kind of get people into the hobby um i don't know if you guys know this but i actually have a friend who had this uh taylor swift has a rookie card if you guys don't know this okay Mm -hmm. i'm gonna drop some knowledge on you so people can try to find it but back in the day when she was like nobody when she had a myspace account if you guys are young enough to know what myspace (laughs) is okay she was promoting her records and she would give away these promo cards of her when she was like 16 years old or something and Uh, on the streets of nashville this this is the story and some of those promo cards she actually signed and dated and i've had a couple of them in my possession i've taken them as consignments to sell for my friend who has these and uh, they can go for like the last one i sold was like over five thousand dollars i would imagine yeah but they're very hard to find okay so you know that would be a great gift for anybody and then she also does things like she writes handwritten letters to her fans that sometimes end up on the secondary market and they get slabbed by psa or beckett and uh, one of my friends had one he bought it at an auction for like two grand it was a cookie recipe and uh he, he, he got it slabbed and then um he had an offer for 15k on it uh immediately so Taylor Swift stuff I'm telling you it is valuable. Once the Swifties get in on this, Look, it's going to go crazy. And I, and yeah. I know like a lot of people listen to your podcast, so if if Michael Rubin or the powers that be ever hear this part of the podcast, the the day that they do a tops now Taylor Swift card in a Chiefs jersey with Kelsey or whatever, it will immediately break the internet.
2: 100% it'll break the internet. It's crazy. I mean, listen, I got tickets for my wife to go see the concert. We went together when it, she was out here. And the amount of people that reached out to me to pay me ridiculous amounts of money for my tickets for five months was crazy. Like I and I couldn't sell them because my wife really wanted to go. They were great seats and it was perfect, but uh, it was just her secondary market for yeah. most anything is in is insane for the most. Y'all part. will
0: appreciate this because I know you're both piggy banks guys. Uh, there's a piggy banks I've seen of the uh, Travis and and Taylor. Have you seen that one? the both cheese jerseys
1: i i don't it i don't think i've seen mine, that but it sounds like something piggy would do
0: yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a new fan i don't have anything yet i've, tr- I've traded notes with both of y'all about it. i need to i need to get in on that so that's yeah i mean he, has,
1: he hasn't let you in yet huh it's Well, very I, I now i'm co-op. talking
0: to some secondary market folks dan Somebody got me one. into Somebody it yeah.
2: and i just got my uh i just got the steph curry signed piggy banks in the mail is that the you baby know? face
1: assassin one? yeah
2: yeah yeah nice yeah. Nice. I just got it in the mail, so I was just like, "Oh man!" But yeah, he was. You reposted something about him, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" And then for months, I just watched and watched, and finally did the whole DM thing. And now, I'm. I'm do you guys down. know his story? No, you I I hear actually it?
1: yeah, please. Yeah, I want to know this is more. It's actually a podcast I, I, about piggy Banks. I want to go to with us. It's I very interesting to- here, and and um a lot of the thing a lot of things I do in a hobby is um I always I I look at things um. I look at everything in the hobby through a like a a business or investment lens because that's kind of like my background and what i'm interested in outside of the hobby so this guy piggy banks right he started off as i i used to see him at the local shows here in orange county he lives down in um like a newport beach area costa mesa and um he used to go to these shows and show his stuff off and um at that time people thought custom cards or art art cards were not even a thing yeah. people just said custom cards they thought it was a joke and he would go around and you know try to like network with people and try to sell his stuff nobody wanted to buy it so then he just I guess he got to the point um I'm making an assumption here okay so if he watches this don't get mad at me but I, he started going around and trying to like just kind of give his stuff away to kind of show off his, his, his work. And he gave me a couple cards and, you know, I didn't think too much about it because I was the same thing. I was like, Oh, this is custom card. Cool. Whatever. But he did that over the course of like a year, I would see him at these shows periodically. Were He'd they slabs like,
0: like they are now or are they? Uh,
1: yes, they were slab, but they're not as, they were not the same. They were not as gotcha. high quality as they are now. They were, they, um, cause you know, he, his process has evolved, but he would give me these cards and I would just kind of watch him from, from time to time from afar. You know, I didn't want to get too deep into it because um, I wasn't collecting custom cards or, or anything like that at the time. And then over the course of maybe a year and a half to almost two years, he slowly won me over because I could see his stuff getting better. Like yeah. it, went, it went from like really, you know, amateur stuff to like, it looks like real professional, like better than what Tops was doing. And what was interesting about what he was doing is uh most people will create a custom card and they'll put it in, in like a one touch. Some people will get creative and they'll put it in a custom slab. Okay. And make a custom label for it. But what he was doing is he was he was upgrading his materials so they look like higher quality. And yeah. then to the point where now he puts it in these, they look like phantom cases, the, the big gorgeous. I mean they're
0: incredible looking.
1: Yes, and he has like a box and things like that. And I'm going to show you, I don't, I don't think he's debuted yet, but I'll give you guys a sneak preview of what he's doing now. But basically, he was raising the perceived value of his cards. And he was differentiating himself from all those other custom card guys that would cut cards and make the shadow box cards and things like that. He yeah. was kind of carving his own niche area. And then I saw his studio grow. Like he, he was basically working out of his, um, his, his house Then he went to a small studio and then his studio grew to where he rented a bigger studio and he invited me to go look at it. I'm looking around and I'm seeing all his materials and all his stuff. And I was like, this guy's legit, right? And then because I started getting into collecting original artwork, I started to look at it from a different lens. Like you're not really investing in the actual single cards themselves. You're investing in the artist, And he is an artist. He's not a custom card guy. He's an artist and his medium is trading cards. That's what he does. So if you believe in the artist and the body of work that he will build over time, then he might become like Banksy or there's a guy called Mr. Doodle, things like that, right? Where their stuff is worth a lot of money. So that's when I really started to get interested um, in his work. And then as I started to ask him questions like business questions, like how do you make money doing this, dude? Like you do this full time. How do you pay for your rent and things like that? He started explaining to me the economics of uh of, of selling these cards and he's doing very well for himself. I'm not gonna yeah. say like numbers, yeah. but he's doing very well for himself. So this whole and I've noticed he had a lot of copycats now. Um, so this whole business model of being a card artist and making these limited edition one of ones, doing drops on a weekly basis. It's a very interesting business model and it's become very lucrative. And I think it's going to be a bigger thing in 2024 as more copycats come out and we start seeing really creative people make really amazing cards that will put Panini and Tops and everybody else to shame. Yeah, Continue. it's
2: that's really cool because uh, I a, a really good friend of mine that I grew up with, he became like a pretty popular artist in like um just kind of like pop culture-ish type world, but his name is Alex Pardee. And uh, he started doing custom cards with tops he did like the project 70 and all this stuff and his cards blew up like some of his cards were going for thousands during like the height of stuff so that's what I started doing is that's what got me into the custom world is I started same thing you thought like I'm investing in this artist and he just happens to be doing cards right now and so I just started picking up all of his stuff and that's what got me into piggy banks when you start posting I was like this is a a similar vibe just with an even higher level of like of a
0: process, and I loved his his work. And now I'm just picking and choosing yeah. which ones I can hopefully jump it, on. But as great. a person that is not in into that yet, I I would say this has really opened my eyes to this world. Like I didn't really pay attention to custom cards much until I started seeing his work, and well, his or hers. I actually don't know the artist, so is it is it a guy? Is that what we said? It's a guy. Yeah, it's a guy. Okay. The um, but now I'm 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 a fan. I'm I'm planning to pick up some of his stuff. So I would love to meet him at some point too.
1: Yeah, and you know his stuff is starting to spread like like. During the National last year, people were kind of paying attention to him, but they weren't like – he wasn't as well-known as he is like right now. His popularity has definitely grown. Was he at the National? Yes, he was. He was. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. It's interesting. Like he'll show his – he's got no problem showing his face and telling people who he is, but he's not promoting himself as I'm piggy banks and you don't see his face all over the place. It's very interesting how this guy works. And if you talk to him, he's super like – kind of intense he comes off a little bit too much sometimes because he's so intense about his work and everything like that but um one thing i'll show you guys this is a little sneak preview i'm not sure that i'm supposed to show this but (laughs) i'm going to do it anyways because he sent it to me so usually he sends you um the uh let me just grab something real quick here just to give you guys um an example yeah so usually he sends his stuff like what you have you got it in a little box and they come in these um uh, acrylic display cases like this right this is a yeah. elon musk card um and then uh i think that he usually gives you a like a little tiny like shoe box it looks like a little nike box right mm-hmm. um so this thing i think this is what he's doing now Ooh, so basically so he he's invested in these books that you can put on the bookshelf like oh, this amazing. and it'll be like a, you can have a library of your cards and they open up like this right oh man okay and then there's this like foam in here that holds the cards but it's really high quality like like the amount of effort and money that he puts into the display yeah uh uh, aspect of his cards i think is really interesting and that i think that's what really sets him apart but this is a cool little prototype i guess he sent me um i've got a really good relationship so he always like hooks me up with things like this so but i'm excited to see these things because i can I would love to display this, like, on my bookcase, like, yeah. five of these, you know? That's perfect,
2: because, like, my issue is, like, I have, like, eight, piggy. I have, like, the shoe boxes, but I'm, like, uh it's, like, they're not really fitting anymore, so I was, yeah. like, that's perfect,
1: because then I can just line them up, like, it's, like, a bookshelf, that's great. Right, right, yeah, that's so... so- So this turned into like a piggy banks love podcast here, but I'm sure he'll love the promotion, but yeah, uh, definitely. And his stuff is really hard to get right now. Base. People always ask me all the time. How do you get this stuff? The only thing I can say is that you just basically have to DM him, become friends with him, show that you're, you're interested and you're not just trying to flip his stuff. And then he randomly picks people. And once he picks you, if he likes what you're doing with his stuff like you you make content about it or you um you show appreciation and you just have a good relationship then it'll be easier to get whatever yeah. you you want from him
0: dan yeah. this reminds me of your video you made last week the uh, influencer video
1: i feel like you just <laughs> influencer video that was probably
0: um, that was probably one of
2: my favorites if you've done so for this is actually yeah. a good segue It's fantastic video yeah this is actually a perfect segue so obviously we've talked about your collection and whatnot but so at what point during this process, I'm assuming during the whole COVID peak, did like the great curator, content creator come about? And like what kind of sparked that for you? Like what what did you see that was happening or missing? Like how did this begin for you?
1: Oh, interesting. I don't think many people actually ever ask me this question, right? They just uh, always assume that I'm just, you know, some Goofball uh, that makes content, but this this is the backstory. Okay, so originally I got into cards, and I've always been a super private person. Like I don't really broadcast details of my life. I'm not real big on social me- social media, but I quickly learned that if you're going to be in the hobby, you have to be active in the community um, on social media. You know, otherwise, like at that time, everybody was selling on eBay and everybody was trying to avoid eBay fees. And the only way that you could do that would be to sell through Instagram, right? So I had to create an Instagram and I had to like, you know, post things, but I wasn't getting any traction because nobody knew who I was, right? So I had to build my Instagram account to the point where people knew my face trusted me enough to do transactions off of ebay and then that's that way i could kind of like circumvent the fees and things like that so i started making content about my stuff and it was really basic things like here's my card here's information about the card you know like that type of content that people do so we all start i think i think yeah trying to tell stories and um it wasn't really you know it was just like okay it wasn't really getting much traction so but i just kept doing it and then it got to the point where um uh In the hobby, right, prices started to go down. This is like mid-2021, something like that, right, I think. Uh, Prices started to go down, and as soon as the gravy train kind of ended for a lot of people, people panicked. I don't know if you guys remember content around that time. The the hobby's dead, the market's crashing, blah, blah, blah. People were panicking because they had invested so much money into collectibles. In my background, you know, I uh, I invest in other things, real estate and stocks like this, so I understand that uh, these things happen in cycles, right? And I understand uh, strategies on how to mitigate how much you're you're losing if you're invested in whatever market it is. So I started to write these posts on Instagram on the story, like write like in text. I you start writing in post. Um, about like, hey, you know, this is what we should do, or this, this is, you know, if you're feeling bad, this is what you should do, and things like that, just kind of giving people like a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of advice, just, just basically putting my daily thoughts on what I was seeing in the hobby, down into a post. And that content really resonated with a lot of people where I was getting a lot of feedback, and I was getting a lot of new followers from doing that. And my post kept getting longer. It went from like two lines to three lines to five lines to like little paragraphs. And uh, I did that for a little while. And then um, people like really liked it, but they didn't like to read. You know, we're in the generation. We don't like to read right (laughs) now. No one wants to read. So they're like, can you like do something? Can you like make it shorter? Can you make videos or just talk or something like that so I can listen to it, you know? And um, through that encouragement and feedback, I started making YouTube videos. And if you watch my early youtube videos they're very professional i tried to be like jeff wilson <laughs> you know in, in in the regard of being being you know taken seriously and i made those informational videos on youtube and they did very well i grew a big social media following from that but um it was too serious it felt like a job making yeah. those earlier like if you watch my waiting videos, for when was that switch when yeah when that if you watch my earlier videos it's very professional right um, and it felt like a job. And I already have a job. You know, I'm, I'm an attorney in real life, and I have to be professional in real life. So, you know, the, the point of having a hobby was to do something to de-stress, you know, have fun. So I kind of um, decided to kind of change my perspective and kind of loosen up a little bit. And then I started making the, like these funny meme videos, like what you guys do, where I take uh, audios and i would just like do the lip syncing to the audios sure. and that content really took off and that was super fun for me to do um and i just kind of like leaned in that direction and over the last like 3 years or so my content has evolved from uh informational from serious informational to silly uh fun content so sometimes i talk about like i give my thoughts on news and things like that but i like to tell people it's about 90% silly entertainment, 10% educational. And it just, you know, I really enjoy doing it because it's a creative outlet for me. Um, I've always, everybody wants to be a creative person, right? In anything that you do, you want to be creative. So the hobby and social media content has become like my go-to for um, unleashing that creative side where I can't do that in my professional life. And the content has done so well that it's become like my main thing, what I'm known for, you know. Um, and flipping and investing has been like the secondary uh thing that I do in the hobby. But now content is the main thing. And it's really interesting because if you do content, and I'm sure you guys have thought about this many times, and you probably have a lot of opportunities with all your sponsors, but if you do content and you do it well, you get a lot of opportunities in the hobby. Yeah. And that's why I made that funny post about influencers. You know, I always make fun of myself. That's one of the things yeah. I, I do. I always make fun and exaggerate the things that I do but if you can, if you can kind of establish some type of name for yourself within the content space, then you get, you know, you get doors that open up that you can, you know, take different paths in the hobby. And it's really fun.
0: I think, I think that's why I've always appreciated your content too, is I, I could tell you all, you have kind of a similar mindset as we do of, I think the hobby takes itself way too seriously. Like, come on, we gotta, we gotta have some fun. And I think, um, it, it con- yeah, I think the hobby was so content was very one dimensional when we started over the past few years. And I think yeah, it's sure. been really refreshing to see how it has evolved and the types of content, the new content creators we're seeing come up. So I think it's an exciting time. Yeah, yeah
1: definitely. And I, I still think, I mean, there's a lot of great content creators out there for sure. And I use this word in my in my um, post that i made about hobby influencers. I joke by calling us hobby influencers, but really <laughs> we are, I consider myself a content creator. I don't, you know. We don't really influence anybody outside of the hobby. Yeah. No, but,
0: no uh, one should pay any yeah. attention to anything I say about anything. So <laughs> <Yes>. that's, uh,
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, but what I was saying, uh, what I was thinking like, um, you know, there's some great content creators right now in the hobby, but I still think that a lot of things are, are, um, Kind of like one-dimensional. A lot of people are copying each other with the type of content that's out there, and I I I think that this year twenty twenty-four, I personally am going to try to do some different things to try to spice it up a little bit. But I I feel like there's 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 more evolution in the hobby content space that that is to come. So I'm super excited for that. Can you yeah, give I, us a sneak peek of what like where do you see it going? Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're part. fine. Yeah, you're fine. Uh, well, for, for me personally, I've been, I've already been talking about this, but what I'm going to try to do is um, a travel series uh, when I go, because I've been going to like shows across the country yeah. uh, for the last couple years of years as being a vendor. But the problem is, as a vendor, you don't really get to step away from the table very much. Right. So now I'm going to make an effort to go to shows as an attendee, walk the shows and um, not just talk about what's at the show, but talk about the city and the people there. and. I, I recently I took a couple trips to Asia last year um, to Japan, uh, Thailand, Korea, places like that. And um, that travel content that I made there, which was not just all cards, but just a mix of different types of travel content, did very well for me. So I want to take that concept and bring it to the stuff that we do here at home. And what I learned from from that trip is that if um, you ever watch like travel shows where people bond over food. Right, Good. like food is a universal thing that everybody can appreciate and enjoy. I learned from my experience because I'm a I'm a hobby nerd that the hobby is also a a, a thing that people can bond over. No matter what language you speak or what country you're from, everybody collects. You believe it or not, everybody everywhere collects something. <laughs> um, so what I want to do this year is I want to make some focused travel content where we get to exp- we go to go to car shows and we we do the car show thing, but also Besides doing the you know uh, challenge, finding this card, buying this card, challenge, showing a big deal, all that stuff, we're gonna go into the city for once. We're gonna go meet local collectors from that area. We're gonna sit down, have you know, take you know, uh, eat at the favorite place, whatever that city's known for. Enjoy a good meal, exchange conversation like we're doing right now. Talk about that, and um, I think that I'm, I'm hoping that that will that will be something interesting that people like to watch. Yeah.
2: I- Are you sick of the hype, Beast Breaker boys? Would you rather talk about sports cards with trusted, respectful sports card stores and dealers from around the U.S.? Well, Loop is the answer. Loop is an online marketplace where you can buy sports cards no matter how you collect. Personal packs and boxes, dollar auctions, group breaks, singles and slab sales, and much more. All of it on one app called Loop. Go try Loop on iPhone, Android, and the web. And the best part is, is you get 10 bucks if you use the stock and trade link to sign up. Find the link in the description of this episode. that will take you directly to the app. So check out Loop. We guarantee you won't be disappointed. Yeah, I love it. I love the idea of constant and never-ending change or evolution. Because like you said, I feel like there's always going to be the people that stay in the same space and never do anything different. But I'm always trying to watch what other people are doing, especially people that are in a, at have a bigger following or just have more traction because I want to see what they're doing to be able to take – Bits and pieces from everybody to try and try and grow. So I agree. I think that evolution is important, and I can't wait to see what that's going to be like. It's going to be cool.
1: Yeah, we're, we're, we're started off in Atlanta this year, so we're going to go to Culture Collision in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we correct. might do we might do it a little bit in Dallas. Um, if any of you guys are going to be in Dallas or Culture Collision, you know we can definitely hook up. Uh, but uh, we're going to start it off like the main thing is going to be in in uh, Atlanta this year or in no. a couple of weeks. So I'm I'll, super excited. I'll be
0: there that. with you in a few weeks. So we'll have. All right,
1: I uh, have to do something. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we
2: touched on it a little bit and it's it's really funny because like it wasn't either Mac or I's like thought on, on you, but you talk about it before. You kind of gave me a heads up like, hey, you're going to be on your pod, but be be careful because I have some people that like think of me as like quote unquote polarizing, right? But in a conversation mm-hmm. with you at, at any point in time, there's been nothing about, you know, uh, the uh, you that's like, well, I don't know if I trust the great curator at all. Like you're just a person that collects All these different things and happens to want to try and make somewhat of a business out of this. And it's like that is in itself what the hobby is like, yes, we're all collectors and we like collecting things but so out of, you know, everyone always has their ideas of why maybe they think people consider you polarizing but why do you think that people would consider you that type of person in the hobby.
1: Well, you know, I've given some thought to this, um, and I'll just kind of give you a little bit of background about how I think this all kind of played out, because I think that this is a good um, example of how, how, you know, social media can be um, in the hobby and outside of a hobby for like real world issues. But basically, um, in the beginning, uh, just like every content creator, I, I tried to, be friendly with everybody, and I try to be nice to people, and I wanted everybody to like me. So, like when I was making my content, I would respond to all the comments, and if somebody criticized me, I would try to like say, you know, if I offended them, I would try to apologize, and I would try to like talk to them and try to like you know give my time to hear them out on, on why they were offended, even though I never knew this person or whatever, right? And I might think that whatever they they were offended about was just like overblown, but I tried to do that, just like everybody does, and. It got to the point where um, this, you know, a couple people just kept like attacking me for whatever reason, you know, they didn't like me for whatever reason. And it could be it could be because the way I look, where I'm from, the things that I collect, mostly because I collected uh, uh, pop culture stuff at that time. And I think that people were upset at me for bringing attention away from sports cards when the market was having a challenging period and trying to get people to collect other things. But basically what people were doing, like a small group of people were attacking me And it got to the point where I kind of realized like my time is more better spent either, um, making content that I enjoy or interacting with people that appreciate me and not trying to defend myself against essentially strangers and things like that. (laughs) Um, so I started to, you know, just basically ignore these people and, um, When you ignore these people that attack you, they get really upset because they want some type of validation. They want some type of, uh, you know, acknowledgement. And they started uh, making content about me. And then uh, it got to the point where they would make content saying, oh, this person, he, you know, he's full of himself or he collects crap or uh, a thing that they love to say is that I'm pumping and dumping all these different things. Right. And they created a narrative around that. And at first I tried to respond again. I tried to be nice to these people. I tried to respond and said, you know, you have your opinion, be respectful, whatever. But, um, I quick, I quickly realized that there are different people in the hobby that do different types of content. There are people like us, you know, and I'm going to put you guys in that group where we make fun, positive content. We, we do, you know, we have a business uh, breaking, whatever, flipping cards, whatever. We make content about that. Then there are other people that love to criticize and be negative. And that's their niche area. Like they, they get views from being critical, critical of other people. You know, you see all those idiots. I'm not even going to mention their name, but they're like trolls. I call them hobby trolls. They call themselves watchdogs, but they're trolls. (laughs) And um, that's their thing. Right. And they have to find people that they can target to make content about Cause they can't make any other type of content. It's very easy to make content in the hobby to criticize people. Super easy to criticize. I could, I could have a five hour podcast, just talking shit about everything, you know, but it's very difficult to make entertaining content that is funny or uplifting or educational or anything like that. It's very difficult to be that way. Cause you have to be creative, but it's very easy to be critical. So anyways, I became the I became an easy target for these guys. You know, Jeff Wilson is also a huge target, but like he's like he's like major league level. And then you have like people on my lower level and I'm just easy pickings for these guys. And uh, that's how it kind of started. And they just they became and they started making videos of me. And in, in the beginning, I tried to be nice to them. But then I got to the point where I just said, you know, screw you guys, you know, fuck you guys, basically, excuse my language, but yeah, bleep that out later. But I just told them, I just, I just told them to F off. And that really pissed them off to the point where they've dedicated probably hundreds of hours of their life to making videos about me. And, and, you know, they become, you know, they're trying to become like my, my nemesis. And um, I think that's just the narrative that has been created outside for their community. So we all have communities uh, uh, con- of, of followers in our content space, right? You guys have your community. I have my community. And people that interact with us, they will support us and they know us and, you know, all that stuff. They the But the Hobby Trolls also have their own community of people that only watch their stuff. They don't watch anything else. So regardless is if you've seen my content or you know me or you've talked to me, Um, most of them just watch that type of content. So they already have this preconceived notion, uh, in their head of who I am. And I call it like creating a false grievance in people's minds, right? If you only watch negative stuff about one person, you're, you're going to think he's bad no matter what. Right. So that's kind of like what has happened, uh, in the hobby, but I've kind of, you know, I've kind of like risen above it, to be honest. Um, I, I just, it just, one time I remember I was fighting with these those idiot sports card radio guys and um I was spent like 45 minutes like I was roasting them through some posts and I spent like 45 minutes crafting this funny post just to 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 get back at them and I thought to myself I it just clicked in my head that I was like what am I doing why yeah. am I wasting my time fighting with these idiots when I could be doing 100 different other things that that would bring me more value in my life. And that's how I look at it now. I look at it in terms of what type of value do I get for my time? And um, when I realized that, I just kind of felt I was embarrassed too. I'm like a 40-year-old guy fighting with these dudes on the internet, you know. So I got really embarrassed at myself for falling into that trap. And uh, I just kind of stopped doing it. And it's funny, when I stopped when I stopped acknowledging these guys, when I stopped like um, uh, fighting back at them and falling into their back and forth game my content and my following really took off right and now it's to the point where it's like these these guys they make videos of me they attack me I get like a hundred new followers every time yeah. something comes up so I actually kind of like welcome it to be honest but I think they kind of caught on because they kind of stopped doing it Um, but that's, that's kind of like the whole background and I think just to kind of sum this up I think that what I realized with social media is that it's not, it's not a real space. You know what I mean? Like we interact to a certain extent, but it's not, it's very easy to be misguided by things that we see. And I try to just kind of like keep that in mind when I'm consuming content myself, or when I'm making content that this is just a fun, almost make-believe space. So we should just kind of understand that when we're, when we're uh, forming our opinions based on things that we see.
0: Yeah. yeah, I I think when I look at the three of us, I think entertainment for sure. I don't think of seriousness. I don't think of uh, you know content. I would I would reference if I was writing a term paper today, and I think that I think <laughs> helps provide a little bit of clarity to other collectors. I don't know, like
2: there, I pull out of that the I there's a quote that I live by that I heard on a Jay Z album one time. I'm sure he got it from somebody else, but it's just. I don't argue with fools because people from afar can't tell who is who. And that's the biggest thing that I have I live by. I, I'm also in my 40s. I don't have time for any of that, first of all. And second of all, like, like you said, social media is this, Mac and I have said it all the time, is this echo chamber that you have built. So when you are in your echo chamber and you hear things that don't belong in your echo chamber, then you're like, oh, it's terrible. And you start to believe it. You start to believe, like you said, these false grievances. I mean, look, I was on social media the other day and now I was thinking, I keep seeing this thing in Miami about the cops and the aliens and stuff. <laughs> I just and heard after, about this. Don't after spoil. about. But here's the thing: after about 15 of these videos, I'm like, maybe there was aliens in Miami that one. Day. <laughs> so, like you said, if you hear enough times that like the great curator is this shysty, like not person, not friendly to the hobby type person, you're like, you know, maybe he isn't this person that we thought, because it's it's just what you all of a sudden the algorithm is throwing at you over
0: and over again, and it's just it's a crazy world you know speaking of which so dan i'd be curious to know like as you were getting in and thinking about even today like what accounts are you following who who do you see as being kind of inspirational accounts that maybe help your creative juices as you're kind of thinking about content
1: um so i you know like i get criticized for this a lot too like i don't follow a lot of people um on, on my account because i i try to curate my feed specifically you know i don't want it just to be full of a bunch of crap but um you know, uh, it's the, the thing that I try to use social media for is to be honest, like I, I, I make so much content that it's hard for me to consume other people's content. I just don't have a lot of time. But when I try to fill my feet up is with like inspirational people, people that are going to, you know indirectly encouraged me to be better. So I follow a lot of like motivational speakers like Gary V, uh, Patrick David Bett. Um, of course, I follow, follow like Jeff Wilson, all the big accounts like um, uh, Michael Rubin, things like that, because they post inspirational content, which I get value from. Yeah. Right. And then um, I follow, you know, just people that I know, all my friends, and like if I know you, and I've seen you at shows, or I interact with you regularly, I will follow you. So I would kind of keep track with people that way. Um, and then just any of the interesting accounts that that are you know making a lot of news like let me see if i can if i can name drop somebody um i can't think of anybody off the top of my head sorry you guys put me on the spot but, <laughs> but that's what i try to fill my my uh feed with is basically just motivational stuff and maybe a little bit of news here and there yeah i mean listen it's it's
2: it's a it's a weird world and i find that uh, it's very like you said very very time consuming at the very least and when you have like yourself, a family, and then a job, along with this new job. Like, how do you find yourself spinning all those plates? Like, do you have like your days? I know we chatted a little bit, and you're like, I don't really uh, block out my week until the end of the week. But how do you make time for all this for yourself? It's like, I think we're all kind of in that same like problem from time to time.
1: Uh, okay, so um, I so I run my own business, so I control my own schedule, so that that gives me a lot of flexibility. But to be honest. The the, the the way that I make time to consume and make content is I had, I gave up watching TV. So like, I don't like I, before I got really into social media, I used to watch like three hours of TV, you know, every day, all my favorite shows, movies, whatever. And then when I got into content, that's what, that's what I had to give up. So I find that. And I, I think that if, if people like realize, they probably do something out of their whole day that takes up a lot of time. You know, like watch TV, play video games, whatever it is, some type of hobby, right? So um, that's what I had to give up, and uh, you know, I, it's it's worked out pretty well because you know it, it it I feel like I'm being more productive by doing all these other things rather than just kind of sitting on the couch watching TV. But it's just hard for me to kind of keep updated with like sports and things like that. So I have to get I have to get a lot of my uh, my news from like Twitter or I mean X and then Instagram and things like that through little snippets.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, it's very strange. I thought about the other day, because I've been busier and busier with everything in my work. And I've, I've, I have more free time because my flexibility with work too. But uh, I was like, what have I I was like, how did I find this time for all this? And I started thinking about what I gave up. And I realized, like, I was a really big fan of going to the movies in the middle of the day. So I would like, go to a movie theater for two to three hours out of my day. And then I was like, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. And I was like, there's my two or three hours that I'm using to do all this other yeah. stuff. And it's just you know, like- I used to
1: do that too. I used to go like the mayonnaise because it was like yeah. five bucks or something like that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I just, I haven't even been to a movie in a long, long, like I can't even remember the last movie I've been to pre pandemic, yeah. you know? Um, so, you know, you just have to kind of give up one thing that takes up a lot of your time to do these things, but it's, it's rewarding for me, you know, so yeah. I don't
0: mind. Do you have any recommendation for other content creators as you're thinking about kind of getting to, you know, thinking about getting from point A to point B where you are? Like any little tidbits, words of wisdom, gold nuggets, as someone who's kind of getting into content creating?
1: Yeah, sure. I've kind of mentioned this um, throughout the entire podcast. So if people haven't been able to pick on it, but I think that there's two, there's two main or three main things that you have to focus on. Um, number one is you have to find a way to give value to people, right? You can't just be, Posting cards because that people don't really get value from that. You gotta you gotta either talk about things and give them some type of uh, valuable insight where they're they learn something, you know, or they're entertained, they laugh, you know, something like that. That's how people get value. Uh, that's number one. Number two, um, stay away from the negativity because it's again it's super easy. I could make a YouTube account tomorrow just talking shit about people and it would get like 10,000 followers. For right. Sure. It'd be like, it'd be like a million views. Right. I believe me, I got receipts for a lot of people in the hobby I could make <laughs> videos about. Um, but that's just like easy trash content and that's not going to get you much growth outside of that. And you get into, you'll fall into this habit of having just to bash anybody and anything and overreact to a lot of things just to make, content videos, like yeah. these reaction videos that people love to make. Right. And you'll see that, you know, with the, with these trolls out there is like, they they've run out of content basically to talk about because that's their niche. Right. And nobody else will take them seriously outside of that. So I would say, stay away from the negativity because ultimately, you know, it's fun to watch a little bit of uh shit talking here and there, but ultimately like people don't want to hear somebody just complain and talk shit about somebody all the time. Right. It, they, they tune it out. I, so, I do
0: kind of feel like we've seen that a little bit on the decline. I don't know if you all felt that, but I just feel like over the past six months, it's been a little less of the negativity. Maybe it's
2: just Yeah. Maybe- I, don't I don't know if it's just, just my yeah. chamber. It might yeah, just be good. my feed now, but yeah, I, I feel the same way. But
1: yeah. You know, so stay away from negativity, because again, we're on social media, this is extra time that we spend on the day. So we look for entertainment, you know, we're not looking to be dragged down. And then the third thing is just to be consistent. That is the major thing. Uh, You've got to post every day, you know, for for months, if not years to grow a good following, you got to interact with people and just be out there and stay relevant. Um, and, and when you're doing that, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, you can put a lot of just, you can just throw things together, but just be consistent. And as you start doing that, that will definitely improve your content and your content will evolve. If you look at my content early on, it's way different than it is now because I've learned how to just kind of be better. I've learned on what I like to put out there. And, um, you know, I've grown as a person in the hobby, as a collector, as a content creator and all that stuff. That's awesome. awesome. Appreciate that.
2: Yeah, what are you mostly? Are you most? Are you excited for anything in particular this upcoming year? Whether it's a a drop of something or a a show, is there anything that you're you're kind of chomping at the bit about, or or how's that going for you? Uh,
1: I, you know, I'm I'm there's not really any like specific product or thing that I'm I'm looking forward to, but I just I'm I'm looking forward to. I don't know if I'm if, if looking forward is the right way to kind of frame this, but I'm very, very um interested to see how the hobby continues to evolve because the last couple years from 2020 to like 2023 has been very profit focused right everybody's about making money but the easy money has gone now guys like it's it's hard to be a flipper it's hard to be a breaker it's hard to be anything within the hobby so i think i saw this you know last year where there's been more of a focus on collecting than there is on making money right? And when there's a focus on collecting, it becomes more focused on collecting like rare things that nobody else has. Um, So I'm looking forward to seeing if that's going to be the continual evolution of the hobby where we go away from basically obsessing over um, things that are mass produced or, or have no real significance within the hobby to focusing and chasing down, you know, rare cards, treasures, grails, things like that. And I'm hoping that one thing that I'm hoping is that um, and I hope I'm not stepping on any of these guys' toes, but I'm hoping that we'll get away from um, uh, the the narrative of breaking being the entry point in the hobby to collecting being the entry point in the hobby, you know, and seeing how that evolves because I think that is much more sustainable than what we're doing right now, just because it's very hard to, as, as it, if you want to be involved in the hobby, it's very hard to like pay money every week and spend all your, uh, disposable income and still, you know, be active throughout the year. So yeah. I think that if we focus more on collecting and, and things like that, then that that's a better way to kind of keep people in the hobby.
2: I agree. I, I think there's a there's definitely a shift, like you said, and everything being cyclical, if you're of a certain age, and you realize it, you can kind of see how it was going. But it'll be I'm very curious too to see how it all plays out. There's always going to be things that are profitable, because they blow up. I mean, this Disney 100 Chrome and out of the UK is that exactly what Kaka wow did this year, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So there's always gonna be stuff like that that like pops up, but I, I feel like I agree with you. I think more and more people are coming into this area of like actually collecting again and like piggy banks, like we talked about earlier, things like that are really starting to come to the forefront again because people are like, Oh, rare, not something that there's 10,000
1: of right now. This is, this is great. So it's, yeah. a, it's yeah. an interesting world. And if I can just share one thing to that too, like, uh, from my from my trip to Asia, what I learned is from the the people that I met out there is that um, collecting is like f- for us here in America, the way that we flex right at, at these shows is we pull out like a hundred thousand dollar card, <laughs> and it doesn't matter what card it could be, it, but it, we just say this is a hundred grand or this is a six figure card or whatever it is. But the way that people flex outside of our little bubble that we've created here is they sh- they show you this rare card this is a one-of-one or it's a Jersey number or it's a highest grade rookie, blah, blah, blah. And then they tell you the price after that. So I think that's kind of like where we have to kind of shift our mindset is it's not like the profit comes later on, right? You, You can make money in the hobby. Things will be valuable. As collectors, things work in circles. So things that we collected in the 90s are valuable now and vice versa, right? So these things will always have some type of value to the right person. But I think that if we put the focus on, Collecting the rarest, most treasured items that have a good backstory that 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 is going to be the new flex in 2024.
2: I'm waiting for it. I can't wait. Uh, shows you're going to be at. Where, where you what are you going to be? I know you said your your focus is to kind of make content at some of these shows, but are you going to be any shows that you're going to be actually a vendor at coming up? Yes.
1: So uh, I'm for as a vendor. I'm confirmed for all the Dallas shows this year. If I do go, uh, I'm going to be definitely at the first three shows of the year. Yes. Um, I usually, I usually be, um, I'm a vendor from, for the show season is what I call it from January up until the national July. That is the card show season in my mind. So I'll be a vendor at all the Dallas shows. I'll be a vendor at Burbank, uh, a show in Ontario. And then, um, I won't be a vendor at the tra- shows that I travel to, but I will be going to culture collision in Atlanta this, this month. And I do plan to, if I can work it out with the schedule, I do, I'm trying to go to the London card show. Ooh. um in may which i think would be really cool and then maybe i'll go to a canadian show you know one of those uh sports card expos in like toronto or, or edmonton something like that and then who knows maybe i'll go go somewhere else but i also wanted to start going to um non-sports card shows too like like comic shows and and things like that so we'll see
2: yeah i need to get i need to start doing more comic shows i, I agree I, I want like comic cons are just its own beast but like yeah, I need to do more shows that are kind of centered around like art and comics and stuff like that, because I want to see what that world is uh, is is doing right now. I only see it through social media lens. So I'd be interested to see it from the floor floor it's level.
1: Very interesting. I'll tell you this. This is another reason why I'm changing my con- my uh, my my the focus of my content to traveling and being an attendee. Okay. I was talking about this on my own podcast uh, with my friend Merlin, but like when you go as a vendor, I'm I'm sure you guys have been vendors at, at some shows before, right? You go as a vendor, you know what's going to make you, what's going to make or make that show a success or failure for you is how much money you make, right? Did I did I do some deals? Did I sell a lot of stuff, right? How much money? And if you don't make a lot of money selling or flipping things, and you kind of like have you know a sour experience, right? But um, I went to Comic Con last year. And um, when you go into like a like a Comic-Con, for example, you're not thinking about flipping anything. Right. You don't bring your comic books or artwork or anything like that to flip. You go there, to spend money. And the more money you spend, the happier you are. Right. I went to Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con last year, and I spent five grand buying, you know, comic books, arts and toys and things like that. And I had a blast. I had the most fun ever there. It was my best show of the year. And I was thinking to myself, wait a second, what 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 is this mentality, right? And I think that's something that we have to kind of um, uh, adopt within the hobby too. Is like we need to treat these things like hobbies. We need to go there, not think about how much money we're going to make, but go there and think about the experience. What are we going to see? What are we going to buy? You know, what are we going to be able to bring back home with us? Um, and if we do that, I think that we'll be in a better place. So that's that's one reason that this. My, my focus is on travel content now where I'm going to be an attendee at these shows and I'm not going to have that expectation that I have to break even or c- cover the cost of my expenses or anything like that. I'm just going to go there and see what kind of cool stuff that I can uh, buy and spend money on and just try to experience the the whole thing for what it is. Yeah, and, you know, I, it's it's funny you say that because
2: I've noticed, sorry, Mac um i I, i've noticed so i went to the burbank show the last one they did and i did a quick video about just attending it and what was going on and the thing and that was probably one of the most like interactive uh pieces of content i did at the end of the year because people were like thank you for showing me what's going on and not just doing a video of like what you bought and like Oh, I, I bought somebody's case out so I can resell it and all stuff. And not listen, that content has its own place and I do enjoy it. But I think that the content that you're trying to go for is going to have a really strong place in the hobby because people are, are very interested in living vicariously through other people in general. So I think it's going to be a, a great piece of con. some
0: content you put out. I'm, I'm super interested in it. Appreciate that. Yeah. I, and that's, I've set up for one show actually, Dan, and at, by about two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I finally <laughs> abandoned my table because you'll see me at Culture Collision. I'm usually just all over the place. yeah. And it's for that same reason. It's like when I'm there, it's more about spending time with people. It's like, yeah, I've got a handful of cards. It'd be great to pick up if I see them. But if I don't and I go home with like one card and I got to see everybody create content with friends, it's a yeah. win. And I, I, think it's, I think it's a part of the hobby that sometimes gets overlooked because it is so hyper transactional sometimes. That's the
1: part I think that we we should be glamorizing that part, you know, like, it's, I mean, like, it's so easy. I mean, it's very sexy to be like, okay, I flipped this card and I made 10 grand flipping this card at the show and all that stuff. But again, the novelty of that, I think has worn off a little bit since like the market has come down a lot. And it's not really as easy as it was before. So I think that, you know we should again, shift the focus to more like collecting and and enjoying the experience. And I think if people see that type of content, then, um, it will, it will resonate more with them, but it also will give people a more reasonable expectation, especially if you're just coming into the hobby, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to like three years ago, you might think, Oh, I'm going to come in the hobby. I'm going to flip it. I'm going to make a lot of money. Right. But now it's not, it's not that easy anymore, guys. So now it's like people might see this type of content. They might say, you know what I collected as a kid, I want to get back into that. This is fun, you know. I want to enjoy this, I, and I don't have to spend a lot of money. I don't have to spend ten thousand dollars on a card yeah. to be part of this game, you know. Yeah. I, pe-
0: I think people thought they had to based on the content. I mean, how, like I said, two years ago, all the content was throwing cash on a person's table and showing the card that you're buying for ten grand. I mean, it's like if that's the content you're encountering when you're first getting to the hobby, it's like no wonder people are making decisions.
1: They are right, yeah. right, and, and that that could turn a lot of people off too because it's not. It's not relatable, to be honest, you know, like, uh, that, that type of, uh, you know, uh, activity in the hobby. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that people will kind of like see that. And if I can, if I can have success with, with this type of content, I'm hoping people will copy that. And, you know, maybe, maybe we'll start a a trend.
2: Yeah. yeah. And before, take- before we, before we get off, I always like to ask this question, especially as someone that like spends so much time going to shows is, if you were to like make your own, if the great curator was going to make the great curator card show, you know, which you might, I guess, in your backyard soon, is what I was thinking. <laughs> I was Wait, waiting for you, so great answer, question. Which was very funny. Like, what what are some of like what are the top three things that you would do, or maybe even change of what's going on? Like, what what would you put in in your show to uh, to make it what you would like, or hopefully the evolution of the card show, if that makes sense?
1: Ooh, okay. I would say this. So I've been to a lot of card shows and and the thing that I notice about these card shows is that they keep getting bigger, right? They keep expanding the table count, which can be good. Sometimes from an attendee's perspective, it can be fun. But from a vendor perspective, it is, um, it's more competition, to be honest, right? So I think with card shows and I'm just, you know, I'm speaking, I, I know a lot of show promoters, so I'm not like calling anybody out, but I'll just kind of speak in very general terms. As a show promoter, right? It's easy to rent out a space, do, do the promotion and sell the tables because everybody wants to be a vendor. Everybody wants to sell and get rid of their stuff. So to me, that's the easy part. And it's very easy to, to um, increase your revenue, your profit margin by just adding more tables. But from the vendor perspective, right? If you just filling, if you're just filling up your venue with all the vendors there, whether they're good or bad, that's going to create a poor experience for the attendees. OK, if you if you get a person, you know, no offense, but like if you get a person that's selling like, you know, uh, junk wax stuff, you know, yeah. and that's the majority of your show. That's not a great spot to put that person right. You want to curate vendors that have really unique items because we can buy anything on 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 eBay, essentially, you know, yeah. we can buy anything online. So we have to go to shows to get the rare stuff that we've never seen before. So that's number one is that you got to get really, you got to pay attention to your vendors. And some shows are starting to do this where they're asking the vendors um, before they sign up, what type of inventory do you have? So I think that's a good, that's a good starting point. Number two is you have to keep the shows to a a reasonable size, you know, like, and when I say reasonable, I'm being generous here. When I say like 500 tables, that's a huge show. But some of these shows, like, Dallas and, you know, recently Burbank, they got like, like Burbank had like 800 tables. yeah That's a lot Dude, that's just, too much. Just,
2: just that you know that, that last I mean? one in Orange County was was too much for me to handle. Yeah,
1: that's that's too much because it's just too big for people to really go around the show and see. You know, as an attendee, you go to the show, you walk the floor, you see something, you come back to it, right? Because you're yeah. shopping around. But if it's too big, you, you never make it back, right? Yeah. So, and then it's a lot of competition for the vendors. And it takes a lot of local people off the uh, the floor. When you sign up, when you have a show and you have a bunch of local vendors um, there, it takes away all the foot traffic. And and so foot traffic is very important. So I would say less vendors. You know, keep it at a, as a as a reasonable uh, number. Less vendors at shows. And then the third thing I would say is that uh, this is something that Burbank kind of discovered is that you have to um, infuse uh, cash into the yeah. show. You know what I mean? Because not a lot of people have cash. A lot of people go to a show to try to sell their cards. And if they get the cards, if they get cash for the cards, then they can go buy stuff. So if you can have a dedicated booth like Burbank does where they're just cashing people out no matter what it is, right? That is the secret sauce to having a really good show. And that's why Burbank has been successful uh, the last couple of shows because they're just they're cashing everybody out you know, and uh, it infuses money into the show. It's like a little ecosystem, you know what I mean? Like a little economy and you got to put money into the show. um, And that's probably the best way that I've seen them do it before.
0: You know, it's so wild. We were talking about this because I wasn't at a Burbank, but I heard about what Burbank was doing in terms of, you know, infusing liquidity. And that is a huge problem. And I hadn't been seeing that here on the East coast as much. And then since the cards HQ announcement that they're opening, I've started seeing them in all the shows on the East Coast and sure enough, they're the ones now doing the same thing. And I yeah. think it has made a difference. I think you're seeing more people walk around shows with cash. Granted, I don't know once they open if we'll still be seeing that in terms of the amount of buying they're doing right now, but, you know, yeah. it helps. It's, it's, a, it's a
2: good super-
1: strategy, for sure.
2: Yeah. For sure. It's it's super important for people to have money at these shows. Otherwise, we're just wandering around. And like I said, I love the idea uh, about rarity because that's my biggest issue with shows and going and getting there is like, I go to these shows and I'm like, well, I can buy this on eBay. Like at a better price. Yeah. At a better price. Even with the fee, even with the tax and everything. I'm like, I don't why. And then I go to the next thing and I'm like, Oh, well, this is also on eBay. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I, I agree. I think having a curated, you know, show of some
0: sort would be an amazing uh jumping point and stuff like that but yeah dan to your point about tables like number of tables in terms of optimal i tend to find the more tables at a show means the higher the table fee which means the higher the cards the higher the price point of the cards um because i feel like vendors are having to mark things up to cover all the table fees they've got
1: oh yeah if i could give you guys you guys want to hear some inside information sure they they might get mad at me but inside baseball i don't think they'll listen to this right so like um like the Dallas card show, right? They they had they're one of the best shows in the country and their table fees hover around like, you know, uh 300 bucks, 3 to like 400 bucks depending on where where it is, right? Which is pretty high for for a card show already. Is it a 3-day? Is it a 3-day show? Uh 4 days. Four yeah, day. From okay. from Thursday to to um Sunday. So you get good value, but they tried to raise their table fees, you know, um that for this year for 2024 20, and they had a huge revolt over that right and like it's it's weird because like for me personally they, they tried to double my fee so like they tried to charge me like 600 bucks on a table or something like that um and it's like and uh, but they made it they made it right so just to let you know they made it right but it's weird because you think to yourself you know okay so I'll, if i have to pay an extra 300 dollars, i'll sell a little bit more and i'll make that money but from a from a vendor perspective like it it puts a lot of pressure on you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we, it takes the fun away from being a vendor at a show where suddenly we're paying so much money for these tables where uh, we have to just sell $600 worth of stuff to get net profit, just to break even, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then some of the other shows like Burbank, they charge $600 a table, which is a lot guys, yeah. very expensive. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the shows will kind of like try to like level off, that increase in price. I know that's how they make their money and all that stuff, but it just when you do that it puts a it puts the vendor in a in a tough position and I think that you're gonna get less quality vendors when um, when you do it that way which kind of sounds counterintuitive, right but you don't want just all the high-end stuff. you don't want all the guys that are that are going to be making like you know 50 grand at a show that they, they go up there. you still want um other like people that can go in there that will be at a price point that they're comfortable with
2: yeah I, I i agree you know and you know, so real quick with that i know uh mac touched on him a little bit and i i personally like enjoy his content i think it's fine with uh, jeff wilson but like so what he's building at card hq do you think that's something that's sustainable in the current climate of the hobby and like this is could be the evolution of like card shops or is this it's basically a 24-hour card show you know so do you think like something like that is going to be sustainable can or can the you explain
1: next... to me specifically cuz i know he's he's building a state of state of the art show i know he's got vertical displays and he's going to have like space for people to make content and breakers there but like what is it what's his so, like it's also seven streaming it's like it's, they're going to be yes, streaming constantly
2: yeah so they can there's breakers there's streaming um supposedly there's going to be like videos within the the actual store itself going all the time but then it's also like a card shop so you can go in and buy you know like you said any, like slabbed cards and then they're also purchasing on top of that it just seems like a very large investment of a lot of different things for me and i'm just like hmm it's very curious like listen i, I hope anybody's investment always works out for them and i actually i like jeff but I, i'm just curious of anyone's thoughts on on this the more i look okay. at it the more i'm like hmm
1: so that's the first time that I've heard that it's going to be like 24 yeah. um, seven. I think, I think people are going to, are looking at it as if it's a card shop. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought it was. And that's mm-hmm. the way that I've been looking at it. But the way that you describe it to me, it sounds like it's just going to be like another streaming platform, basically like his own, his own stream that he's doing. It's,
2: it's both like, I've, they so it's a card shop with like a streaming platform installed in it and like a, uh, uh, there was something else too, Mac just touched on it, but it's like it's multiple things like area for them to create content in, it's like all this crazy stuff. And I'm like,
1: all right, well, it's, it's I this think yeah, I think it depends on his execution. You know, if he's sure. if he's innovative and he puts really um high quality or entertaining content, then yeah, people are going to watch it. But I when you it's funny, um, I'm going to give you guys two examples that it just came up in my head, right? That kind of that will that will kind of summarize my thoughts on this okay you ever seen that um episode of the simpsons when homer goes to hell yeah. and the devil tries to punish homer by feeding him donuts and an endless supply of donuts right that's like the form of punishment yeah. that's one thing that i think of like just endless streaming yeah uh, we already have that right and yeah. then the other thing i think of is if you ever seen that movie uh ready player one where mm-hmm. they go into the oasis and the thing about that is they're so immersed in that fantasy world that they forget about reality to the point where at the end of the movie the guy who wins the whole game has to limit the the time that people can spend in the oasis so that it's better for the community yeah that's how i kind of feel about that idea or just a hobby in general of like just constant streaming constant breaking constant everything because again it's like You know, I think I don't think that's sustainable, to be honest. And I I think that a lot of people were we're already stretched to our limits financially (laughs) on how much we can participate. And, um, you know, even if you don't buy into that kind of stuff, it's not like necessarily great to just kind of like always be consuming that type of content you know what I mean I think that we have to try to find some have some boundaries or barriers where we can interact in different ways I think it'll just be healthier for people you know what I mean, mean interact like, in so,
0: real life that's crazy what are you <laughs> getting at <of> here Dan <laughs> yeah, you know like
1: yeah so <laughs> you know I'm sure it'll be very popular at, at one point but I'm I'm just really hoping that uh you know we can we can we can just kind of like do something more uh interactive in the hobby where I think it's it's more socially interactive you know than just watching people rip cards I, all day i
2: would like that too well yeah. dan man this has been great i could talk for way longer um but yeah i really appreciate you hopping on here and, and doing this and uh yeah the usual uh at the end of this we always give everyone their time for their shameless plugs as we do on our own so uh where can we find you what can we do i know you have the pod so so plug away
1: yeah so i'm, a, I'm a, on a few different platforms uh obviously uh most people know me from Instagram, so I'm the great curator on Instagram. I also have a little growing TikTok uh, page, so find me on TikTok also. at The great curator. I also have my own podcast. It's called Between Two Slabs. I do it with my partner Merlin Merle World Cards. We do. Uh, we usually do a live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So, but you can find all our episodes on YouTube and you know Apple Podcasts, Sirius, and all the streaming platforms for that. Awesome, man.
2: Well, Dan, appreciate it, dude. Um I hope we get I know hope I'll hopefully I'll I know I'll see you at the Burbank show since you'll be there barring any unforeseen circumstances. But hopefully we'll see each other more this year too.
1: I appreciate it, guys. This was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Thanks. See you later.